May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. So the last time I stood here, we were knee-deep in the Gospel of Luke. And each one of us was learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus as we traveled with him week after week on his journey to Jerusalem. But over the last several Sundays, though, we've strayed from that journey. We uh, celebrated Holy Cross Sunday. Last week was St. Matthew the Evangelist. And this Sunday, it's the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels. Next week, we will be returning to the Gospel of Luke and join Jesus once again as he travels to Jerusalem. But today, we are celebrating the feast day of St. Michael and All Angels, or Michaelmas as it is known in England and other parts of the world. And I may have mispronounced that, so you people who know how to do that correctly, you can point it out to me later. (laughs) But tonight is also the first night of Rosh Hashanah. It's the start of the seven days of awe, the Jewish New Year. It is believed that this is the month that God created the world, and so it's the birthday of God's creation. This is the time of the year that observant Jews examine their lives, repent, and make amends to those that they have hurt, to turn their lives in a new direction. It's a holiday of hope and new beginnings. And St. Michael and All Angels is one of the most ancient of feast days, and it is a celebration of St. Michael and All Angels, known and unknown, and it's a day that commemorates the deeds of the Archangel Michael, who, with all of his angels, fought against the devil and the powers of darkness. It's also the beginning of fall in much of the world. And it's thought that this feast was deliberately set near the autumn equinox to to draw the faithful away from pagan celebrations and closer to Christian traditions. This time of the year, the days and the nights are almost equal. And in many parts of the country, the leaves are turning to the beautiful fall colors and the air is crisp and cold. Here in Phoenix, we are beginning to cautiously open our doors and our windows. (laughs) The heat is finally starting to give away, and today we had rain. I mean, is that not perfect? It's finally giving away to some cooler temperatures, and the summer for us is just about over. And historically... Michaelmas has been a time of new beginnings. In England, it's the start of a new quarter. It's the time the start of a new business year. It's a time to elect new officials. That's why our elections are held when they are. It's time to hire new servants and to start school. It's a time of hope and new beginnings. So here we are today, and we're reading about angels and war and dragons. And I'm not sure 
where the hope and new beginnings are found in these readings that we so need today. So as a country, we are still in the middle of what seems to be the longest, the ugliest election season ever, with emotions and divisions hardening on either side. Counselors report that they are seeing new patients for election anxiety. Some, like my husband and I, we have just ceased watching the news altogether. And whatever happens, there will be people who will be bitterly hurt on either side. And we're confronted by a continuing refugee crisis. As the bombings continue in Syria and the towns and the villages are being obliterated, totally wiped out, the continuous war in Afghanistan, over 65 million refugees are on the move. That is one in every 113 people on this planet are refugees. They're crowding into refugee camps all over Europe, places of despair, with little hope for the future for many of them, hoping for a home somewhere, anywhere, that some country will take them in, hoping, hoping for a new beginning. And as I write this sermon, or as I was writing this sermon, another police shooting occurred, and another unarmed black man was killed in El Cajon, which is a suburb of San Diego. And this one was just a little bit more personal for me, as the shooting occurred just a block away from my daughter's house, and where the protests and the marches continue in response to his death. And I'm, I am worried about my daughter as these protests and these police response escalates with the tear gas and the pepper spray and, and all of that entails. But at the same time, I'm feeling a deep ache of grief and sorrow for this man and his family and this community who will need to come to terms with this tragic loss and the emotional damage that the shooting has caused. And I wonder, where is the hope and the new beginning for this community and for this nation as we grapple with continuing violence and the racism that we are seeing in our cities and our towns? One author who is writing about the police shootings suggests that we as a society tolerate and accept the ugliness and the vitriol of this election, the refugee crisis with its mind-numbing and heartbreaking statistics, the systemic racism in our society with the litany of the dead on our nightly news, tearing apart the very fabric of our communities. Because the what the author contends is that we don't really see each other. We don't see the vulnerable. We don't see the person that is different than us. We see them perhaps as disposable, invisible, a nobody. And as I struggled with the author's point of view, 
I was driving down 7th Avenue, and as I was waiting at the stoplight, right there next to my window was a woman standing who held up her sign, help me, please. And I turned away. And I was ashamed. The German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, writing shortly before his hanging at the hands of the Nazi regime in the concentration camp, spoke of a kind of Christianity that was needed in this world come of age, an age when modern people seem to no longer need God to make sense of their world. So they don't know what it means to radically follow Jesus, to let their lives be transformed by that relationship. And I don't know if this is a world come of age, as Diedrich Bonhoeffer says, or this is simply a world that has just become weary with the struggles. And the story of St. Michael and the Dragon is a story of the struggle that we face every single day between good and evil. We have a choice. Do we choose the ways that are life-giving? Not just for us, but for others. Do we choose to live just for ourselves, or do we choose to live for something greater? The House of Bishops recently met in Flint, Michigan, and in a letter to the church they wrote, we decry angry political rhetoric which rages while fissures widen within society along racial, economic, educational, religious, cultural, and generational lines. We refuse to look away as poverty, cruelty, and war forces families to become migrants, enduring statelessness and demonization. We renounce gun violence and drug addiction that steals lives and crushes souls, while others succumb to fear and cynicism, abandoning any sense of neighborliness. Yet in all of this, we do not despair. We remember that God in Christ entered our earthly neighborhood during a time of political volatility and economic inequality. To this crisis, we bring our faith in Jesus into our fractured neighborhoods, the nation, and the world. Every member of the church has been called for a time such as this. The Revelation of St. John tells us that there is a war going on between good and evil, and that good will triumph. But you and I have a part to play in that battle. And it goes on every single day in our communities, in our worlds, and even in ourselves. It is not a battle that we can ignore or pass by. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to create a community where all are welcome. We have been called for a time such as this to be agents of transformation and of hope and of change in a world that does not see and does not care. 
for those who are different, the nobodies, the lost, or the vulnerable, to proclaim the gospel at all times. A gospel is incorrigibly reckless, irredeemably open, and wildly generous with the transforming power of God's love. We come to this cathedral to be fed and for prayer and for forgiveness and for renewal. And each and every time we walk out those great doors restored and refreshed and able to begin again, taking our faith and our knowledge of God's great love for us into the world we live in to love one another as we are so loved. Jesus saw Nathanael under the fig tree. He saw him, and he knew him, just as each one of us is seen and known by God. No one is invisible or unworthy in God's eyes. And as Nathanael found out, those that spend time in the company of Jesus see new possibilities. Jesus tells him, you shall see greater things than this. You will see the heavens open and God's angels ascending and descending. Jesus was opening Nathaniel's eyes and ours to look ahead to what God can do when heaven touches the earth and love reigns where there's room for everyone, everywhere, you and I, us and them, and all are welcome at God's table. Amen.